What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the fascinating, scintillating, incredible, ballsy podcast for Sports Day DFW and the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington. If you're going to say those words, can you have a little, be a little more enthusiastic? About it? Yeah. Try it again. Words are very powerful. Fascinating, incredible, scintillating. Is that that good was good. For you? I'm Barry Horn, and on the phone we have the fascinating, scintillating, Incredible, Evan Grant from where's he come calling from? Surprise, Evan. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm kind of wondering why you guys are fixating on fascinating, scintillating, and whatever the other adjective was. Because it's you, baby. Uh, okay. Well, I'm here. Let's rock and roll. Oh, okay. Evan, Evan, no more small talk with Evan. No. Let's That's get, right. Let's get right down to it. Okay, we've had some uh, some very, very small – we have some minor developments at camp, haven't we, Evan? Minor developments. Is that a little name joke? That's a little name joke. Uh, yes, on the, on the guy who started yesterday, the left-hander, they're trying to make into a starter. Yeah. Well, tell us about minor. Well, I mean, he was – he wasn't all that sharp. Um, <laughs> he uh, he allowed three runs, but I, none of those runs score if Jerickson Profar um, had not made a, a a bobble and a, a bad throw. Um, it's not. Listen, Matt Bush was really good in his start on Sunday, um, and Matt Mike Miner was not very good in his start um, yesterday, and I. At this point in time, I tend to look more significantly at guys who have have good results than about guys who have bad results. I think once you get into the second, third, fourth outing, as they start to build up innings, then it really becomes a bigger uh, a bigger deal. But I think you know, as Jeff Bannister said yesterday, we're we're committed to this and we're committed to seeing how it looks. So Evan, so, Evan, you're finished? Yes, I'm finished now, Kevin, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've had some other developments. So let's go ahead and get this one out of the way. Uh, C.J. Nikowski apparently retweeted something that offended everybody. And no, he liked it. He didn't retweet it. He oh, just he, liked he, he it. He liked it. He liked a tweet by a, apparently by a racist group. He did not realize it was a racist group, and it was a picture of the U.S. women's gold medal winning hockey team and uh and he just what, what could be more positive than that what could be more positive than that he he liked the the picture it turns out he was following this group though and he did not realize it was a racist group i have no doubt that cj 
didn't realize this was a racist group. They call themselves, I think, the Proud Boys. USA. Uh, uh, is that what it is? Proud Boys USA. Proud Boys USA. I have to tell you, I, I don't follow very many. Uh, I don't know why you would follow Proud Boys USA anyway. But if I had followed them, I, I wouldn't have had any idea that they were a racist group. Well, I, you know, in their in their Twitter page description, they I think they mentioned that they you know Western chauvinism is alive and well and. Uh, there are people who could look at a lot of what they do as parody, but the Southern Poverty and Law um, Center looks uh, looks at them as a as a group that that has some uh, espouses some hate. And some of the quotes that Gavin McInnes, the, the the co-founder of Vice Media and the founder of Proud Boys USA, has had you know certainly come across as alt right or. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'd say white supremacist, but there, there, they, there are some statements that, that he that are ascribed to him that come across as uh, in, in a manner that could be offensive to people. Now, I don't know that, that CJ, you know, vetted this group entirely before he followed him, um, and I really don't think that there was. I, I think on its own, I, I, I don't know that the like of this particular photo is so much at issue as I think here, um, you know, there are some fans who have, uh, in their minds, have not had great uh, interaction with CJ on, on social media. Um, that I think they've, the, the words that they've felt like if, in, in ways that they've described it, that, you know, sometimes it comes across as condescending. Um, sometimes they feel like he's too aggressive in blocking them. Uh, and I think when you do that, then you invite for people to start investigating um, all your likes, all your retweets, uh, who you're following, things like that. It, it's, uh, Twitter is, is a world that I don't think the three of us understand. I don't know that anybody fully understands. I, I think, though, that if there's a lesson here from, from any of this for CJ in the long term, it's, it's just, as a player, when you're criticized, um, you have the ability, you're certainly within your right to be defensive. But once you become, once you become a broadcaster and you're um, one of the faces or voices of the organization, I think people expect you to be friendly at all points and times because essentially you're a ticket seller and you're supposed to be a comforting voice. And if you've got that approach with fans where you can occasionally come across as either confrontational or, or condescending or however these fans felt, um, it, it puts you in a, in a tougher position. And so I think that there's, you know, I think there's a lesson for CJ to learn going forward on this. You know what the lesson I think is for all big name uh, or celebrity tweeters, if you want to call CJ a celebrity tweeter, have a second account. Uh, really, uh, a private a, a private account where you we where can, you could be real snarky and, yeah. and write whatever you want yeah and then you could be snarky to your main <laughs> like account like Kevin Durant have a secondary account like Kevin yeah, that worked Durant, out well right? for him didn't it yeah well, yeah. Y- yeah but it, of course I guess you'll get found out on that too. yes it, yes you it, will it, it, but it's 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 crazy uh, you know I will say that let me ask you this when 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 someone asks you like on uh, um, on Facebook ask to be your friend. Do you look at their account first before you confirm it? I do. I do too. Do you, you have I I used to not 
now I, I pretty much don't confirm somebody unless uh, I know them or unless I look at their account and see that they, you know, they have mutual friends that I know um, and that, you know, there would be some reason for them to want to be friends with me. Either they, they talk about wanting that they're a Rangers fan or that they live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or something like that. And even then, I'm sure that there are people that I've accepted friend requests from who may not be who they say they are. Correct. Um, and I had, you know, I had a Facebook post on uh, over the weekend in which I, I, I talked a little bit about being disappointed in some of the reactions to I saw you know, the kids' stories from, from the Stoneman Douglas shooting. And it's, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say that the Stoneman Douglas is a personal issue for me, but my wife is from Broward County. I spent some time... Uh, both as a child and as an adult in Broward County, I know the area. So it does feel a little bit more familiar to me, and it does hurt when I know that friends, friends' kids who live there have been even more traumatized than kids across across the country who haven't had such incidences. And, you know, my, my Facebook post, I felt like, got hijacked by people making really personal attacks at, at other people, and there was no real civil uh, discourse among a lot of people, and it's just... It is a weird time in which we live in, and I don't know. I don't know that there are answers. I don't know that there's right answers for how, for what TJ can do or what he should have done. Uh, I don't know that. I, I just I, I feel like what you have to do when you are a public figure is try the best you possibly can to walk a line where you are neither confrontational. Um, nor bland, and it's a really tough—it's a really tough line to walk. You know, Evan, I follow you on Facebook and on Twitter. I don't follow you on Instagram. Are you are you on Instagram? I'm on Instagram, but I don't post okay. much there. My, my biggest criticism of you of your uh, social media posts is, Evan, you're too nice. You're nice about everything. Too nice. He can, is. Can you be too nice? I, I read that post he's talking about, and I was thinking, there's Evan being too nice again. Uh, I don't know. I I, I will say he this. Won't even, he won't even respond. I think that, that I think that Evan uh, uh, characterized the the CJ uh, situation uh, very well. I was glad he did it because if he didn't have to, if he didn't write that story, I would have had to write it. I wouldn't have known. What, I wouldn't have known what to do. No, I think it's exactly right. I think that, that that's what happens it, to me. Uh, what I have noticed on Twitter and on social media is if you if you are uh, a little too it's a gotcha me acerbic. If you're a little too you know uh, acidic uh, with this stuff, then people come after you. It, What's it, wrong it, with the Hasidic people? I knew it. Oh, Evan. Oh, Evan. It. No, Are I you think, twirling your pants now? All right, now? there's our Jewish joke for the day. There we go, thanks. But I'm bummed. Uh, but but I think yeah I think it's exactly what happens you know it, it feels it feels like that to me on on social media you can say something and just uh, have a little fun with something and it's and usually that'll go but if it gets a little yeah. harsher than that sometimes uh, it doesn't have to be harsh Kevin there are people who pick up anything you, look they picked up what Evan said which which I thought was uh, thoughtful and 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 and. Very well stated, and and here's here's he's just told you what also, happened with that. But it's also about something that has uh, political overtones as well. Right, kids got uh, shot. I, well, and I, I don't, I don't. No, but I, I mean, people I have made think, it into a political statement. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, Correct. So that, think, and that's I mean, the problem. I think we've had the we've seen the polit- the politicization of everything, and that's again, you know, because this wasn't like 
this wasn't ESPN's photo of the gold medal winning team, and it wasn't um, the U.S. Olympic hockey team's photo of the gold medal winning team. It was a photo that had been appropriated by a group that allegedly has. But where'd they get? Where'd they get the photo? They, the group wasn't wasn't there in. Uh, no, I, I mean they, they obviously, you know, they obviously took the photo that was online. But, um, and but it, it is. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing about likes and retweets and all of this, it becomes such a, um, it's such a complicated web that. That maybe maybe people younger than I do do understand better um, than, than me, but I just try and navigate it the best I can and accept that people are going to have differences. And the only thing I ask on social media is, look, I'll be snarky and it's like we're joking around in a bar. Just don't make don't say anything personal about my wife, my family. Um, those are the things that I think, or, or my heritage, I think those are the things that are out of bounds. But, Evan, isn't there also a, a supposedly a secret hand signal, hand sign in that photo, too? Yeah, one, one of the women. Well, that's, yeah, that's the, it, the deal about that photo is that one of the team members is in the front making a circle sign with her, with her fingers. And lots of teenagers and baseball players and athletes have a little game where they make a circle sign with two fingers somewhere below their waist, and if, if somebody looks at them while they're doing it, they get to punch that person yes. in, the, in the arm. They call it the circle game. It's kind of a silly game. Do you know I have, um, I have three kids, and uh, a 31-year-old, a 28-year-old, and a 22-year-old, they do that all the time at dinner. You know, we'll be sitting at dinner, and one of them is right. married, and the father of a, a one-year-old, and they still do it. But you know, the, apparently, the, the, uh, in some circles, it's been it has been theorized that, that the white power movement has appropriated a version of that time. So I, I will say this: here, here's the thing. To, to go back to that that particular instance, you know, there's I, I looked online yesterday. There's been no stories about was a team USA hockey uh, player making a white power sign. This is this is clearly an incident where. Somebody took this and reappropriated it for their own purpose. But but that didn't. But it is a story because we wrote a story about it, so it's become well, a story. Well, it, 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 it's a story because it ended up involving a Rangers broadcaster and, and a controversy in which he um, basically deleted his Twitter account. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on back to, to to real baseball again. Something else also happened uh, recently that was at least uh, uh, early on uh, a good sign. That was that uh, Ruggie Odor took not one. Evan, is that you in your clown car? You know, you know. Here's the deal. I'm sitting in the back of a golf cart doing this, and John Blake drives up in his little golf cart. And he parts it, and he has to honk the horn three times. I, was he because he knows you're on? You, are you saying John Blake did that on purpose? He's sabotaging yeah. our podcast. Yeah, he's sabot- he's sabotaging the podcast. John, oh are you saying God. John Blake has a sense of humor? Is that what uh, is, is that what you're alleging? That, 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 Allegedly, John Blake pulled up in his clown car. So uh, yes, Kevin Ruggie Odor too. He, I just, he's taking I think three walks. No, he's, he's taking two walks. Um, he. Uh, uh, in the opener, he he did take three straight pitches and then singled um, uh, on, on a, a I forget what the count was at that point. I think it was one two. Um, in the 
second game that he played, he got the three and one twice by taking pitches and then took pitches for ball four on both occasions. And, you know, that sounds like a really minor development. It's an early spring thing and everything. But the bottom line is Odor against right-handed pitchers last year had gotten to three and one 40 times. He swung at 34 of the pitches that popped. So it was as automatic a swing if you just actually didn't bounce the ball as, as there as, as there was possible, and so I think that that does show that he is um, attempting to have an approach and, and attempting to uh, really kind of hone in on what Jeff Bannister said all winter about you know let's pick one zone, one pitch, one mentality, and when you're three one and you're ahead in the count, you can eliminate a lot of things. And if you don't if you don't get a fastball exactly where you want it, hey, don't just take it. You know, this is one of the interesting things to me. When, when people don't understand uh, approaches at the plate, and they think that, uh, like I, you know, I saw in a high school dugout recently. We want to, we want everybody to be taken. We want everybody a good at bat is to get eight or nine pitches, and and I and I think that's such a uh, such a bad uh, approach to taking this, especially in the high school level where you you may not see two hittable pitches in an at bat. If you if the, if the guy threw fifteen pitches to you, you might not see two hittable pitches, and 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 the and the point is is that you go up there with an idea of the pitch that you want, and this is what I like about Shinsu Chu, and this is why why Chu strikes out as uh, as much as he does for a guy who has such a high on base percentage, is that I don't care if what you're throwing is a strike, I want my pitch, and so I will I will stand up here and with two strikes I will still swing. At what I consider to be my pitch. Now you could argue that he could he should be trying to foul those off, but you can still say that yes, he's looking for his pitch, and Ruggie has to decide what it is. Is it my pitch that I like that is hittable, and wait for that? Because if he waits for that, it'll be it'll be forty games into the season before anybody ever throws him a uh, a strike because they they're all used to you know it was just like when Josh Hamilton was playing if he had laid off the first pitch which he constantly swung at and which was constantly in the dirt it would have been 2 weeks before anybody threw him a strike if he had just laid off hitting the first pitch uh, and here's i think to to your to your point Kevin the um the idea it, it has become part of the lexicon of the game that an eight-pitch plate appearance is considered a productive plate appearance. But it shouldn't be people's objective to go to the plate and see eight pitches. The idea is you go up there looking for a pitch in a zone to hit. If you don't get that and, you don't, and you're not going to get it in your, in your entire bat, you can still have some degree of production at the major league level by making the pitcher work for, you know, for an eight-pitch at bat, for a nine-pitch at bat that's going to add to his stress in that inning, that's going to add to his pitch count. But the idea is not to go up there and say, okay, we're going to take an eight-pitch at bat. No, the idea is to go up there and say, we're going to look for our pitch, and when we get our pitch, we're going to attack it. Uh, If that's the first pitch, great. If it's the fourth pitch, great. But just don't expand beyond that, except in two-strike situations when you have to do what you can to protect the plate of your Absolutely, and I and I think that this is to me. If you can just if he could stay on that, uh, that would be a tremendous improvement. Plus, it simplifies the game. You know, it is so easy to get up there at the plate and uh, and be uh, thinking about a, a million things. If you can just convince a, a hitter like Ruggie, 
just just wait for your pitch. Wait till he throws your right. pitch, and and it's, it's going to be a while before they get too fine with him because the stuff they were throwing him last year up and out of the zone was unbelievable that he was trying yeah, and to I, reach. You know, uh, when I wrote about Ruggie this offseason, I think we, we have uh, we touched on this on, on the podcast, and I'm once again in the flight pattern here of multiple <laughs> golf carts. Well, it's unbelievable. Let me just I say mean, they don't, they don't have this many golf carts. Like, well, whatever. Anyway, so the, the thing with Ruggie was I think he was in such a bad place last year and got into such a bad place that really the only thing that was going to get him to break those patterns was an extended break that comes with the offseason. Um, and I think it did allow him to clear his mind and to kind of get back into uh, uh, coming to the plate with an approach. It's, it's really hard when you when you have gone through a long period uh, where, where things aren't going right and where you're trying to make things happen it's really it's really difficult to change him on the fly and that's what he that's what he encountered last year so uh now let's let's move we, we were talking about in the in, uh, a player from the infield let's go out to the outfield and uh, in left field uh it's interesting to me that ryan rua keeps getting starts should we read anything into that or is willie calhoun going to end up starting the game out there um i think right now the idea is that uh, if if they face a left-hander, Ryan Rue is going to start. If they face a right-hander, um, Drew Robinson is going to start. And that Calhoun will end up picking those guys up very often, so he'll get his at-bats um, regularly and, and um, consecutive games, but not necessarily as a starter in, in all of them. Um and I think that what you should read into it is this. I, I think the Rangers' intent going into this season is that they're going to that they want to see if Drew Robinson is a regular player for them. I think it's more about Drew Robinson than it is about Ryan Rua at this point. Um, and if they were to go with a platoon of Rua and Robinson, then it gives them a right-left thing that would allow them to reduce a little bit of exposure to for for Robinson against left-handed pitching. It would also give them a built-in backup center fielder, which is absolutely necessary with this 13-man roster that they're going to have to have some more flexibility in the outfield. And it would give Calhoun the ability to go to AAA, work with Dwayne Murphy, and continue to kind of improve his outfield defense, which I think is coming along nicely. He made a really nice running play going a long way in left field into foul territory and, and almost into that little area of stands that juts out here in, uh, in Sprott. Um, and so I think that's coming along, but I, I do think that that is their intent to start the season, whether there's any roster manipulation or service time manipulations um, involved in that. I, I can't speak. I don't know that the Rangers had traditionally done a whole lot of that, but certainly you could raise that question. I just think right now their perspective is they feel like they need to find out about Drew Robinson um, and, and where he fits in. All right, now, so uh, tell me how the Rule 5 pick, and I don't know how to pronounce Carlos's last name. Is it Toxi, Toki, Toxi, Taki, what Tochi. is it? Tochi. 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 Yeah. So tell me where he figures in in this situation, because as we know, as a Rule 5 pick, if they don't keep him on the Major League roster, they got to give him back. 
or offering well, that? Well, here's, here's how he fits in. He, he is considered an, a, a, an above-average defender in center field, and that would be a nice thing to have. You would love to have an elite uh, backup center fielder if you, if you could. But, you know, what he, I think, has to do is show um, some offensive skills. Uh, I think that you can look at Ryan Rua and uh, as a right-handed hitter, you can say he hasn't really shown much in the big leagues, but he has he has so, shown some ability for power. He does have some power ability. Tochi is not really a power guy. Um, could Tochi be a guy who they could use as a running weapon? Well, he hasn't really shown great minor league numbers on the bases. I think they need to see him run to the spring to get an idea. And when you compare them, you know, if you want to compare the right-handed versus right-handed aspect, Ryan Rue is a really good base runner. He doesn't have, um, you know, what you would consider plus-plus speed, but he's a good base runner. I think he's 19 of 20 in his major league career in stolen base attempts. He's he's not what you, he's not a guy you put in there to say, okay, we have to steal a base right now, but he is a guy that you would put on the bases knowing that he would make the right decisions on the base pass and that he'd run them really well. And the Rangers don't have, look, you know, traditionally you would think, okay, maybe you have a backup infielder who's your who's your pinch runner type guy or your base runner guy. If they go with Yurks and Profar, which is what they're going to do, Profar's an average to below average runner. He's not an option for them as a right. pinch runner. Right. Now let me ask you this, because this is something that uh, I've noticed, and, and maybe I'm just overly sensitive to it uh, this spring as opposed to others. But we've already seen uh, where uh, where Jeff Bannister and his uh, and his staff felt like probably they made a mistake last year trying to make everybody uh, into a super utility player, um, and they were going to let some guys settle in, let Joey Gallo, Gallo settle in at first base, let Jerks and Profar play just the infield instead of the outfield, which I I I, I agree with a hundred percent. Now, we've also kind of, I just read today that uh, we see uh, Doug Brocale saying that, yeah, we probably made a mistake last year with a bullpen and and having them just pitch mostly in B games in spring training instead of any A games, and it probably probably hurt the bullpen's development, or at least early on last year. Um, is this, I, don't, I just don't recall a coaching staff saying that, yeah, we made some mistakes last year and being so open about it. Uh, well, you, no, I, I mean, just, Jeff has mentioned on several occasions this spring uh, that they plan for all their pitchers, not just the not just the relievers, but also the starters, to get the majority of their work in A games. The one exception, probably being Cole Hamels, because he's got this long, this long and um, different process that uh, he has always gone through with Philadelphia. Uh, and, and I think, in in large respect, you know, you have to give them. You certainly have to give them some credit for taking some culpability for the fact that the that the pitching staff was not a good pitching staff last year, uh, and I think that that you know in some regards it's also reaction. Hey, we didn't. This, this was a, this was an issue for us last year. Let's try and do something a little bit differently this year, and and, and I think that's the way they're going about it. Um, on the on the, I, I I think I agree with you on this idea of. You know, let's let's not focus so much on the super utility position players all around the diamond. Um, I think flexibility is a good thing to have, but I think where you need to focus on that is with the is with the bench spots. And if you've got Profar as one of your bench spots, and you've got Robinson who can play all three outfield positions, 
and who can also play the infield, and you've got Rua platooning with him, and Rua can play first base occasionally for, for the days that Joey Gallo needs a day off. That's the kind of flexibility you need. I don't think you need all your regulars moving around the diamond um, every day. Yeah, we, we saw a little bit of that with the Dodgers last year in the World Series. That just blew me away. The guys were, were playing in left field one, one inning. They're playing second base the next inning. I'm just – I'm just blown away by that. that well, kind that's of every, and that's, that's managers trying to, to prove they're smarter than that. I guess. Guy. I don't know. I'm just. Not, well, and, but yes. I, you know, the, the, the playoffs in the World Series, is, you know, win or go home situation, you have to ask guys sometimes to do things differently than, than would be outside their comfort level. And, it, you know, it is somewhat, somewhat unnatural, and that's why teams that adapt the best um, usually succeed in the World Series in the postseason. But for the course of the championship season, the 162-game season, Joey Gallo, I want Joey Gallo to perform in the role where he's going to give me the most production. Where is that? He's comfortable at first base. He can make an impact. Golly, with the golf cart. Um, <laughs> are you really out at the DAC? Is that where you are? I think he's at the Masters. It is yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> is you're, are you at Augusta National? Wow. The... Uh, you know, Joey can impact the game defensively at first base. I think he can save some errors with the kind of target he presents. I think he can save some errors with how tall he is um, and, and the stretches that he's, he's going to be able to make at first base. And I think he can impact the game offensively a little bit more if he doesn't have to worry, okay, today am I playing third or am I playing left? I know what i got to do. I know what work i got to do. I know what my routine right. is going to be today. I'm a first baseman. I'll tell you what, I would be happy for the Rangers if, if Joey Gallo was their first baseman for the next 10 years. What are you going to do with Guzman? I... Oh, I don't, I don't care. Well, you, don't care you don't care about him at all? No, I don't okay. care about him. Who's Listen, the, who? if, 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 Ronald Guzman is a, if Ronald Guzman is a great first base uh, option, um, then there will be value for him. But Absolutely. I think if, the Rangers, if the Rangers can settle in and uh, as comfortable as Joey looks at first base and the aptitude that I think he's shown there in a very short preparation period i you know I, listen what i think we saw from chris davis as a defensive first baseman when he was in texas and he had moved from third base to first base um i'd have been real happy with that kind of defensive production at first base for for a decade and he's become a very good uh player for a long period of time in the league should, now, should they look you know, i think i think the thing with chris davis has been that the, the offensive performance has varied a little bit too wildly from year to year sometimes to make managers happy. Oh, absolutely. The Rangers want to see more consistency as Joey Gallup. But I think Joey's had a better – I really do feel like Joey's had a better command of the strike zone than, than, than Chris does. Now, Joey may have some more swing and miss because he's even taller, but I think he's got a pretty good – a much better command of the strike zone and knowing what is a strike. Yeah, listen, I tell you, uh, considering what the Rangers have done at first base since uh, Mark Teixeira left – um, I would take uh, a Chris Davis level performance there over the next ten years, uh, much less uh, Joey Gallo if we think he's going to be better. That to me has been a real shortcoming at this at this uh, for this organization that they have not consistently had a productive first baseman. You know they they have on occasion uh, for a shorter period of time when Mike Napoli has played it that, uh, on occasion, certainly not last year, but uh, but at times, uh, but they just have not been able to consistently have. A, a first class first baseman over there who's going to be good defensively and who's going to be a, a threat offensively. A guy with some pop, a guy with the ability to drive in a hundred runs and and hit thirty plus home runs. They they just right. they just I, haven't had it. I 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that Mitch Moreland checked a lot of boxes defensively, um, but he was off the field so much because of injuries. Right. And ultimately, he was he was not a 30-home run guy. He fits nicely in the Red Sox lineup as a guy who doesn't have to carry the majority of the load um, because he does go through these long these long offensive slumps. Yes, um, he does. But, yeah, it was. You know, this was, a, this was an organization that had um, Rafael Palmero and then Will Clark and then Palmero again. Uh, and then to share it first base, so it had well over a decade of really elite power and defensive mm-hmm. performance at first base. Um, I think you could get back there with Joey, but you know Joey's there. Joe Pete, pitchers are going to attack Joey probably a little bit differently this year than they did last year. Um, the batting average still needs to come up, and look, he hit forty home runs. He hit forty-one home runs last year. How many more home runs can you expect from Joey Gallo? You know, do you ever go into a season saying this is a forty home run guy? It worked pretty well with Hank Aaron, right? He's, yeah, he's I, I just, forty home run guy. I don't know that we want to make that equivalency just yet. No, but, you don't think he's going to hit seven fifty five? I maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, but I, I, I think with Joey, the, the, the here's John Blake walking by again. He doesn't have a horn to beat, but <laughs> oh, he's got his little walkie talkie. Um, John's on his walkie-talkie. Oh, I love it when he's in charge like that. Oh, oh my he's got a clip to his belt and walking around like he's a new sheriff in town. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think Joey Gallo's got real promise at first base. I don't want people to feel like, um, hey, Joey Gallo has arrived. I think that that last year was a really good year. I think there's going to be. Um, some adjustments that he's got to continue to make at the plate, but I think he can make a little bit more contact. I think he can be he can defend himself a little bit better against left-handed pitchers, and and if he does that and he, he adds a dozen singles um, and and a few more and, and cuts down a few strikeouts, the RBI total is going to go up, the the batting average is going to go up, and as a result, the OPS will too. Well, that, that, doesn't he have to be in the lineup every day? No matter what this season, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think the expectation is going to be that Joey Gallo will he's play 145 games. I was going to say so, 150 so, games. Yeah, so, absolutely. Oh, I understand, but I just want to make sure he's he's got to be in the lineup. Yeah, here's games. the thing I like about. Oh no, yeah, he's an everyday. He's at first base. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. First here's base. what I like about Joey. I think he's a smart kid. Uh, I saw a real improvement last year. After that, two years ago when I just thought he looked lost. And I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this kid. I don't know if he's, uh, he's going to yeah, have enough. You, you are such a pendulum. You swing from one I know. I go from all over. But, but last year. such a front runner. He, he looked so much better last year. And, and here's the he thing did. about the Rangers and then what he established in the time that he got to play first base. He did look really good. He's an, he's an excellent athlete. For a guy his size, he might be the best athlete for a guy his size in baseball. And He and, runs really well. And if you really want to know the truth, if they wanted to use their best defensive left fielder, oh, it'd be, it'd him. be Joey Gallo. Absolutely. Okay, but they have, but but they, but they have to, much. but they have to stay away from doing that. Oh, right? absolutely, absolutely. Right. You don't want to do I that. I think it would create too much wear and tear on him. I think yes. he's comfortable at first base, and I think when you consider everything, the number of guys that he can impact defensively at first base, I think it outweighs. You know what he could do in left field. Well, that's that, absolutely right because you're making that. Not only are you making a much a, a, a target with a much bigger radius, uh, catch radius than any of the other guys you have on the roster, but you think about on his stretch on a double play ball. 
You know, Correct. if a guy's got five, you know, three or four more inches of stretch, you're talking about getting a double play that you're not going to get another time. But but the point I also want to make about Joey is that he is a two-way player. I do think that Joey is going to be a productive offensive player. Now, I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't even know what his floor is. But I, I think he's going to be pretty good offensively, and I think he's going to be excellent defensively. I think he has a chance to be a gold glove type first baseman not not this year but in, in you know in two or three years I think he can develop into that kind of thing and the Rangers need more players like that they need more players in this lineup who can do both things because frankly Agreed. there's not enough and I don't really see on in the on the immediate horizon for this season I don't I don't see enough of that I don't see it in the outfield and uh, in particular so I I think that the that the more players they can get like that in the lineup every day the better off they'll be I, I I would agree. I, I think the Rangers will try and, you know, yesterday the No More Mazar and Sinchu Chu pulled off a delayed steal, and I do think the Rangers will try and, and showcase Mazar's athleticism a little bit more. I don't know if he was cautious or they were cautious, um, but I think that, that they are going to ask him to do a little bit more this year, um, not necessarily step out of, you know, you're not going to create incredible foot speed. He's going to be an an average, slightly below average runner. But I think he can can create a few more opportunities, can take advantage, be a a more effective base runner. Um, But I I agree with you, Kevin. You know, Joey Joey is a phenomenal athlete, um, particularly for somebody his size. And the Rangers need – the Rangers need more – more athleticism is the only way for me to describe it. Evan, you know, we would re- be remiss if we didn't let you just decide what topic it is that you would like to talk about. We're asking all the questions. What would you like to talk about? Um, I don't have anything to talk about, Kevin. I really don't. <laughs> other, guys, than, other than complain about uh, John, John Blake. Blake. Yeah, you like talking you about guys, that. You guys, and, you guys, between uh, the golf carts and John Blake, you know, I just – going to get off the air without any other incident. You know, by the way, they're expecting we, we just got a note. There's, there's going to be the fire alarms are going to be going off here in the any next, minute. Any minute now. Any to, minute, yeah. to ignore them. So yeah. maybe we can uh, out-noise you here. Yeah, that, that would be good. Evan, let me ask you this. Is it ever warmed up out there yet? No. You've got to be kidding me. No, I'm wearing a flannel shirt with a long sleeve shirt underneath and um have carried both a vest and a jacket with me everywhere I've gone. Oh my gosh! And how are, how are you and Jerry Fraley getting along? Yeah, we're getting along fine. We had a lovely Chinese dinner last night at the Big Buddha. Oh, the um, Big Buddha! That's Jerry a great place. Some, Jerry had some Singapore noodles, and uh, I had the Mongolian beef. So we had a lot of Asia covered there. And um, uh, Smiley Pool was with us. Um, and it was a lovely time. Smiley was with did, you. Did he take photos of the uh, of the meal? No, we did not take photos of the meal. I leave that to my wife. My wife is the official food photographer. Yes, she of our is. Family. Yes, she is. If you follow them on uh, on Facebook, you get a lot of that. Uh, because you know, I'm coming out there next week, Evan. At the end of next week, is it supposed to be warmed up by then? I don't like coming out there when it's cold. Well, Kevin, we may have to. You know, we'll bring a little shawl for you, and we'll we'll. <laughs> We'll keep you somewhere warm. We'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. Evan, can, can you have like four story ideas for Kevin by the time he gets out there? Column ideas so he doesn't have to. I already got one. I'm, I got one locked in. One locked in? Yeah, I do. Because, you, you know, we, we, did a podcast, we did a podcast with Eddie Sefko earlier uh, about the Mavericks. 
And Kevin practically demanded column ideas from from Eddie. No, I already had the idea. I was telling Eddie I needed him to write it for me. Okay. I just need. I had the idea. I wanted to know, you know, about the possible penalties for um, Mark, Mark Cuban in this uh, scandalous uh, deal they've had but, here in the last uh, twenty years. Basically. By the way, Evan, I don't know if you've you've noticed we've we've had uh, lots of stories about Mark Cuban in the paper recently. Lots of stories about Jerry Jones. What what's with the Rangers owners? Are are, are they? Are, do you ever see them? Out out of out? they're here. They're here right now. Um, Both of them, but they you know Ray and Bob, uh, Bob and Ray. No, uh, Bob Simpson's been keeping a really low profile. He's still got a, a significant percentage of the team, but uh, Ray Davis and Neil Liebman have have been uh, much more out in front. You know, they they've represented the club at things like the um, RBI Academy opening and. They are out here at the same time right now. Um, yeah, Neil and, Liebman uh, is, is very high profile. Is, He's in there is, playing is, ping pong is with he the players. An equal? Is, he, is he an equal partner? Liebman? What? Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's the third of the primary partners. The percentages between Bob and, and Neil, I think, are, are really similar at this point. And Ray, I believe, has got the, the largest piece of it. Of course, that's the Dallas guy, Ray Davis. Um, Correct. Most of Bob Simpson from Fort Worth. Where's Neil from? He's from Houston, I think. Neil lives in Houston, but he splits his time between Houston and Dallas. How about that? He's from Houston, yeah. So or, or Houston. we say Houston. <laughs> no, we should not say Houston. You know, Evan, do you ever allow yourself to think of what would have happened if, if baseball had allowed Jim Crane and Mark Cuban to have bought the, the Rangers? Boy, we'd have we'd probably have one heck of a scandal right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't know what what the deal would have been. Um, I, uh, I, um, I, you know, I, Jim Crane, the, the Jim Crane situation in Houston. Look, he's come out looking golden. Yeah, uh, but he he came in and he had no choice with but with the resources that he had. Uh, but to completely scale that team back, and it look it, it ended up working out well for him over the five year period. But uh, we'd get right back into the conversation about tanking, um, and there's no guarantees on whether or not that's going to win. And if it doesn't win, I mean, I don't know how you get your fans back. The, the Astros, the Astros have been incredibly fortunate here that they they did win um, and they got better. And they have recaptured their fan base. But, boy, it was ugly there for a few years. Oh, it's beyond ugly. Beyond ugly. When you factor in the uh, the cable screw-up and the fact that half their fan base couldn't, couldn't even, even watch, the, couldn't team even watch the team on TV, that was unbelievable. Now, let me ask you one last thing here, Evan, because we want to let you go so you can go catch one of these uh, golf carts as they go past. Uh, is uh, is the, We have a note in the paper today saying that the Rangers' uh, payroll – uh, 40-man payroll uh, will be about 144 million, which's not which is not counting uh, the Prince Fielder money, which I believe he's owed nine million this year. The Rangers part of it, um, so that comes in under what the payroll was last year. Uh, is it- and that that was the plan all winter. They they they, uh, they said they expected to be a, you know between five and ten million dollars below where they were last year, and and that's that's basically where they will come in. Yeah. And 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 with with the ability to raise the payroll if necessary, sign people, 
as they come along. Always, always keep your powder dry, Barry. Always keep it dry. Wow. Also, the ability to shed payroll Wait, if they, if they I want have to, to write as that well. Down. Sure. Always keep. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, this is a transitional year, and they can go one. They can go one of two ways, and and you know the the extra flexibility does give them a chance that if there is a plate piece out there that really makes a difference uh, come July, they can do it. And if they if they uh, aren't in contention. They'll have some pieces that will be uh, available to other teams that they may be able to shed a little bit of payroll. I think, I think, hey, I think the Rangers would be willing to continue to eat, eat this payroll this year, even if they trade some of these guys, in order to get back better prospects. So they've got, I think they've got two routes that they can go, but I, I feel like they felt this year was not the year to go all in. And uh, I, I can't disagree with them. We've been over this several times. I just don't see how one one premier free agent this year would have made the difference. They had too many holes that they had to fill. And to do it, it meant you had to spread your money around and hope for some things to fall into place. And now we've got fighter jets. All right. No, well, there's always fighter jets. The out world's there. against us. Yeah, I think I think that's a sign. A symbol. As, as long as they're as long as they're not uh, you know unloading their payload, I think it's I think we're okay. Hey, I Evan, believe the markings were were of the U.S. Air Force, and no, they were not. They were just on a train. Uh, that's very good. Uh, so uh, one last thing here. So you, you don't expect you haven't heard any rumblings that with all those free agents that are still out there that the Rangers may add one or two uh, this spring. Nobody of the top tier. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's it blows me away that Jake Arrieta, Lancelin, and Alex Cobb are still out there. But um, I just don't see the Rangers adding any of those guys. When, when would you have imagined in the last 20 years that pitchers of that caliber would still be available this time of year? Yeah, it, it, it's just been a bizarre winter. Yeah, I don't and know. I, I do ever. think that, you know, we've talked about this, and I, I do think that to some extent, the, the CBA tilted in the owner's favor this time around. And I think that we're also seeing front offices just kind of evaluate players in the same manner, or maybe front offices have moved a little bit ahead of, of agencies in how they evaluate players and how they evaluate, they value players. Yeah. Evan, it's always great having you on the show. You know, we would love to make this a permanent uh, arrangement where you're always on with us. So uh, always have them somewhere else, yeah, yeah, not yeah. in the studio. Yeah, not. yeah, make that a permanent I'll, arrangement. I'll, I'll be in the studio next week. Will, will next you, week, will you be here next week, Kevin? I'll be here next week. Yeah, I'm, yeah I will. I'm coming. I'm coming home tonight, uh, and I will be there uh, on Tuesday, and then I believe I leave Wednesday to come back out here and tidy up the place for Kevin. Yeah, I'll be out there on Friday. Wow. And it's, uh, so, if you if you sent that uh, that text message yet, baby, I'll be home tonight. The Gina Constanza. Oh my God, Evan! Don't don't answer that, Evan. Evan, do not answer that. Okay. For Kevin, Kevin Sherrington, Evan. I'm Barry Horn. Evan Grant, thank you so much for being with us. Maybe we can edit. Maybe we can get the, this edited out. Oh, look at him! He's so proud of himself. See you guys. Bye, Bye. Evan. What? What does what what come over you? What do you mean, baby? I'll be home tonight. He's a, he's a happily married man. Oh my gosh, I'm a happily married man this too. Th- if I if I sent that to my wife, <laughs> she would kill me. She would make sure she wasn't here. She'd she'd catch a plane. That's right, she would. 
She would. She'd charter jet out of here. Yeah, as well she should. Uh, that's what I say. So we had this uh, this week on our fine uh, podcast, we had uh, David Moore talking about the Cowboys yeah. and talking about the upcoming uh, combine as well as the uh, the hefty fine that uh, Jerry Jones apparently and, will and, incur. And Des Bryant, again, the, the, more the, about Des Bryant. More about Des Bryant and his future because, with his team. Because Stephen Jones keeps saying things yeah. about him that don't sound good. And Stephen Jones doesn't talk off, off the cuff. No, there's He's, a reason there's for a, all of that. I would, when people were that, when he initially said those things, the first time he said any of that, I said, "Oh, this is it." This I, is it. I, not only do I think that they're trying to renegotiate, I think that they are laying the groundwork to say we're not bringing him back. Wow! And I just think that that is, I still stand by that, and I still think that is the way to go. You save twelve and a half million dollars this year if you do that. Well, we sit around and we talk about the about the salary cap and the, the Cowboys' salary cap problems. They have. Issues that they have, they they've got to make choices, and they and, have to make and, choices. And the salary, but the salary cap is not as prohibitive as it has been in, in the past. No, it will, it will but, go up, and they can, but they can do things to 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 mitigate it, mitigate like all these problems. Yeah, I do like that. I've already used it once. Uh, they can do things to to help themselves here. Uh, there's enough that they can do, and I do think, as I said before, I think they could draft a wide receiver who would have a similar production. Now, now David made a great point when he said that. Yeah, but. These other guys weren't very good. Well, we do think there is some feeling that one of the reasons why they're not very good is because there's nobody to stretch the field. Well, uh, if you talk to the wide receivers, if you go out there and you listen to the wide receivers, I think they blame the quarterback. I think they blame the quarterback. I think they blame the system. I think they blame the system probably more than the quarterback. I don't know. I think they. I think you know they point out Beasley had a subpar year. Oh yeah, they all did. Williams they all went a, backwards. They, everybody, had, everybody had a subpar year. It's hard to believe and, that and, they would all go bad. And 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 what is the the uh, one thing that they all point to if every, all the receivers are having a subpar year? True, I, I do. But I do think that there are things they can do to tinker, to adjust, to to play up to to Dak's strengths, which they have done that before. Yes, absolutely. They certainly did that in his absolutely. rookie season. So I think they can do that again this fall. But uh, as as but you know, we'll talk about the NFL. De- we're we're still on a baseball podcast, but you know, the NFL defensive coordinator has had a year to look at Dak. Sure, study Dak. Absolutely. Everybody has to make adjustments every year in Correct. every sport. Correct. Doesn't matter what you play, you got to make adjustments every year, or you just won't last. Um, and then we also talked to uh, Eddie Sefko. He was a gem. Who a is a gem. gem. <laughs> He's a gem of a guy. Talking about all the crazy things going on. There are more things going on in with this franchise all at once in the last two weeks than I can think of in the last, since they certainly since they won the, the, the title. It's it's not been a good two weeks. Although maybe no. with the hire of the new temporary. Sethi Marshall. Interim CEO is what interim they're calling. She, by the way, she we didn't point this out. She she wants to keep the title. She wants. She's yeah. She's a young woman. She she's fifty eight yeah. years old. But here, here's the thing about that is interesting to me though, and and this is why clearly she has the interim title is that she's always been in HR, right? Which she's that's which is perfect right. for the situation they find themselves in right now. Right. But once you get that worked out. Do you say, but do your skills really translate to being the CEO of this of this organization? Are you really the kind of person who can go out and make deals, make us money? You know, well, I I saw things in that Sports Illustrated story about Tredema Usri that were complimentary, saying that he he, he knew made, how to make the money. He knew how to make money, which surprised me. That's not what I'd heard over the years. Uh, so I, I I don't I don't know, uh, and I don't know if she can do that. But I will say this: you know what? Of the two things. Isn't Mark Cuban really the guy supposed to be making money for this franchise? Yes. Yeah. Right? I th- yeah, I think he's become a little bored with the franchise. I think he has, too. From afar. But I think that's his job. To me, what you do need in this kind of organization is somebody 
who who will, who will monitor the personnel and make sure things get run well. Sure. You know what? I I think an HR person in that organization is perfect for the CEO. Well, you you can you can have a title and and have different responsibilities for the title. Yeah, as you, well. you, like you, you, do, you farm they, out things to other people, yeah. and you get on, and you find the right people to do the right things. And and you, if you're maximizing performance, and if you're inspiring loyalty from your people, there was, it was interesting to me in the, in that press conference. There were a lot of people in that room really? who were not reporters. Now, like Maver- Ma- say, Maverick, Maverick personnel. Yes, I think, and, and I, I will say this: I don't, I don't know all the front office people like I used to. Uh, I, not like I used to. I used to know a lot more than I know now. Uh, several have left about a lot of things. Yeah, right. But you know, there was applause occasionally, which the media is not supposed to be applauding. So I assume that that was the case. Uh, and there were a lot of people standing around out in the hall afterwards. Uh, and it, who appeared to be front office personnel. And I will say this, they all look very excited. They all look very happy. They were all, they, they all seem to be feeling like, man, we're going places now here. And if, if before there was such an impressive environment that people felt beaten down, as you read in that Sports Illustrated story. I mean, one of the women in there talked about how she, when I was around the players, I felt good. He said, and then I would go back over into to the offices and I would just feel bad again. Yeah. If you talk about people feeling bad in the workplace, uh, you know, what, what kind of production do you get out of people when it's like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I talked to several uh, reporters and p- people who have been around the team and female reporters uh, over the weekend and such. Everybody said the same thing. They felt the, be- the safest place, the happiest they were when they were at the Mavericks was in the locker room. Whether it was Jason Terry running the locker room or Dirk Nowitzki running the locker room, it was always a bunch of good guys. Uh, it, it was always a place they enjoyed being because the leadership was good. And yes, that, and, and that's and that's where it all comes from—the leadership. Yeah, I want to say one more thing about that too, because uh, I saw this at the game last night. I was—I just noticed it. At one at one point, they had the the tribute to Donald Carter, um, who passed away two weeks ago, and. Um, so it's up on the screen, and you know they do a great job in the in-house stuff with the Mavericks. Uh, just, yeah. just do a tremendous job. And so they're they're having this tribute. And so I look down on the floor. It's during a timeout, and all the players are all over by the bench, and they're talking to each other, and they're you know talking to the coaches and whatever, except for one player, and he was watching the entire tribute. Dirk, and then applauded afterwards. Dirk, yeah, that would be Dirk. And and, and how Dirk is that? Well, let me tell you something. When all the smoke clears and when this is all over, Dirk will have a position in the front office. He will become the face of the franchise, I believe. Yeah, you know what? And that, what what could be smarter than that? If he would be what Nolan Ryan didn't want to be, right? Then I think he would want to be it. I think he would. I don't ambassador. think he would mind. I don't think he'd mind at all because he. This is a guy with zero ego, zero. And I'd say that, and I. It, He's a phenomenal person uh, and athlete and, and superstar. And, you know, something that uh, our, our good friend David Deutsch brought up uh, before the podcast, and I did not know this, Draymond Green uh, of the Warriors yeah. picked his all-time team mm-hmm. uh, starting five. He had, he had Shaq. He had Kobe. He had Magic. He These had, just guys he played against? No. Or, no. No, 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 he didn't play. Against. Well, you're right, he did, but he guys he'd seen, Jack. guys he'd seen, and he and he had Jordan, and and then the fifth was Dirk, no LeBron. He had he had uh, he had the, the, those those four three three Lakers, uh, a Bull, and a Maverick. How about that? I thought that was pretty cool. Now maybe that's a shot at LeBron. 
But yeah, you think? But he had Dirk on there. You think? Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, there's there's no Chamberlain, there's no Russell, there's no no Oscar, no Jabbar, no Oscar, no, no Jabbar, no Jabbar. Yeah, it's kind of hard, isn't it? Kevin, I, we, we've gotten way off the topic. Yeah, here. we have, but it was fun. We hope that you had fun listening to this, and be sure to check it out on iTunes. Right. Uh, you, you can find us there. Uh, where else can they find Twitter. us? Twitter on Twitter. Yes, absolutely. You can. Please find us on Twitter, please. Ballsy Pocket at Ballsy Podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're we're available in lots of places, and uh, and we're here every week. And we're cheap, and we and we work cheap. So on by, for Evan Grant, who's out in surprise, <laughs> and for my good friend Barry Horn. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.